because when I get on stage, there was always a wall up um, and, and a guard in my emotions. And then I had to slam that poem one year. And basically, if you ever get on a slam team, you're going to have an emotional breakdown. If you don't have an emotional breakdown when you're slamming, when you're learning to be on a slam team, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have to connect to the emotion in the words that you write. And if you're not writing something that makes you feel vulnerable to the point of tears or emotional distress, then you aren't writing your truths to me. I'm not saying you need to get right up there and write trauma all the time, but at some point you've got to share your testimony of what you've been through. This is episode five of that One Vatos podcast. You made it to five episodes, Albert. You did it. We're here recording. Southtown Art Gallery, located on 1913 South Flores. Come by here this Saturday for Second Saturday. Albert and his wife, Caroline Adam, who's going to be Gonzalez pretty soon, later on this month. They're going to be hosting. But today I have a special guest. She is the GOAT poet in San Antonio, in the state, in the world. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she is a singer, a writer, songwriter. She does everything. She's incredible. My guest is Andrea Bocab Sanderson. How are you? You can laughter. I'm clapping. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm pretty great. Uh, in, in as far as my my emotional state of being, I'm I'm doing pretty great. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a crazy like last few months, but I have been you know slowly trying to piece things together and act like I know what's going on. You know. You know how you put that front out there like, I know what's going on. But you're secretly you're like inside there's a little person going, ah, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so I see you're dropping not only an album, but a book. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I won something called an artist foundation for the, the their people's choice mm-hmm. uh, for the artist foundation. And basically it was like a whole bunch of people had to vote for me. And I think there were eight other people in the category uh, for people's choice because we didn't win the regular artist foundation grants. They give one for the visual arts, for music and for performance arts, I believe. And then there's people's choice. So um, the proposal that I put forth was to do a book and an album. The album is entitled She Tastes Like Music. The book is entitled She Lives in Music. And those projects are going to be coming out together. I'm dropping them Luminaria Weekend because why not? Um, And so um, that following Monday, I will be doing a feature at Blah. I'm just trying to set up all these shows to do to release the project. And the book is about 40 poems roughly. And the album is going to be 12 tracks. So you, you're going to drop the album November 8th, and then are you going to do anything for at, on Luminaria November mm-hmm. 9th? Yeah, I'm featuring at Luminaria uh, on the UNAM or UNAM, however you want to say it, stage. Uh, y'all should be there at Hemisphere Plaza. It's going to be great. Uh, special artists, including one of the artists that's in this room right now, is going to be showing work. And so it's a great um, over, overlap of like multidisciplinary and then isolate, isolated disciplines of art from everything you can think of. And it really is, is a lot of stimulation to all the senses, right? You, you kind of walking through when there's bright lights and cool music and, um, food that's really great if you go over in that i liked how they have that whole area for food like you just walk through that yes. little walkway and it's like yeah chicken on a stick yeah kebab yeah mm-hmm. uh corn whatever <laughs> i love that something so it's just like a lot of cool stuff happening and and this people really um think outside the box and it's, it's the creativity is is at an elevated level and last year i got to sit on the 
the panel of people who got to look through the art and kind of curate the the who would show and determine who would show and that was an honor to do that and then to next year come back to the stage because like the first five years of Luminaria I had a stage um and I featured and then a lot of things changed and now I'm back um with this presentation. So. That's awesome. That was a long answer, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Luminaria, is like, it scared me shitless last year because I performed with the Hemisphere yeah. Plaza Poets. So, was that the Rel stuff? Yes, the I Rel. was in the room. I, I, I saw you. No, I remember seeing you in the room. I saw all my favorite poets. I saw you, Rooster, what? Eddie, or yeah, Eddie was I with us. I list. Oh, snap. Oh, my gosh. And then Thanks. the group of poets that I was performing yeah. with they're go glow glow is amazing like, she, yeah she's another goat she's she's fantastic that's what the g stands for in uh, glow goat yeah <laughs> but I, I was scared because i was the youngest one out of all of them i had the least experience out of all of them but Darrell told me like months prior he's like, i want you to perform with us and I need y'all to know, like, this this one vato, he did a great job. His energy was just super infectious in that room. And it didn't really matter what he said because his energy was so great. And you have the type of, you understand how to use your presence to fill up a space, which is one of the things when I, like, talk to poets about how they present themselves on stage. I was like, you need to think about how big the space is that you're in and you need to fill it up. And that does not mean volume. That means energy and intensity and expression. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, you do it. Oh, man. Speaking of mentoring poets, you do that. You also do that. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that? So I have been doing, oh, man. I started around where I truly felt that I was doing it. Um, and realizing it is 2009. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of when I, matter of fact, Luminaria, um, around that time is when I met a young lady named Ariana Brown, who if you look up Ariana Brown on YouTube, she has, some of her videos have over 100,000 views. Like wow. she's bad. She bad to the bone. And she's a San Antonio uh, young lady. She went to John Jay High School. Now she's she went um, to UT, got an education. Then she went, I want to say, to Pittsburgh. If I'm wrong, don't don't hurt me, girl. Um, <laughs> she went and got education there. Now she's back in San Antonio, quiet as it's kept. And she's just she travels all over the nation uh, doing poetry. But I met her. I met. Uh, she's deceased now. I met Kelly Four Names. I met Diamond Mason, Tomas, or AKA Rain or Shine. I met all these young people uh, at that time. They were all in high school. I started mentoring them, and we were doing Fresh Ink Youth Slam at that time. I was doing that with Anthony Flores. Um, Anthony left, and then Rooster came and picked it up with Sarah Rodriguez, and then I came back to it. And it's just, I mean, that's when I, I started working for Gemini Inc. In the early 2000s, mid 2000s, something like that. Oh shoot, it's only <laughs> I'm like it's like it's funny to think about things in terms of the 2000s versus like the 1900s. <laughs> but um, anyways, yeah. So those have been my experiences. I work for Gemini Inc. I also do private contracts where I teach poetry workshops. I used to do slam coaching. Like I do all that stuff. So how do you balance all of that? Uh, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would I like to uh, doorbell. Um, I would like to think that I have some balance to my life, but it's not that balanced. Um, I sleep when I can. I try not to let people interfere with my sleep schedule very much, uh, and 
I don't have as much of a personal life as I'd like to have. And I just do things in seasons. Like when, when I, when it's the season for me to do something, um, and also use my Google calendar very much. My Google calendar saves my life. Sometimes <laughs> I neglect my Google calendar. I should be putting stuff in Google, like, Hey Google, tell me to do this. And yeah, make it happen. <laughs> so how long have you been doing poetry? Oh man, I started writing at the age of six, wow. but as far as performance, my first performance, this is the side story, so cue the violin strings. Um, when I was 13, I lost one of my very close friends to violence, um, and I wrote a poem for her memorial, and I read it at her memorial, and then I probably didn't perform poetry on stage again until um, my 20s, like like around 22 or 21, somewhere around there. I started hitting the open mic scene here. There was this place called... Um, Free Verse Fridays, and I started doing Free Verse Fridays, and the same place where we started doing Free Verse Fridays, I now host Second Verse, which is why I wanted to name the thing Second Verse, because I was like, there was a first verse, which was Free Verse, and now this is a second verse, oh, this is a second installment that a lot of people don't know, that's why um, we chose to, and also because it's on Second Friday. And where can people find Second Verse at? So it is at 6390 Fairdale Drive, um, that is off of Ritterman and 35, that is only for the rest of this year, next year, we are moving. We have not even officially announced that we're moving, but we will make that official announcement. Um, and we got to solidify the place. Otherwise, I would tell you the new place we're moving to. But if you come see us this year or if you follow Second Verse on social media, you will know when we announce the new place that we're going to be at. So, yeah. Second Verse is huge. Yeah. Uh, what, did that happen immediately, or is it something that you guys had to build over time? We started, when we started uh, doing, people were hungry for an open mic thing back then. Now you can find poetry almost every day of the week, and everybody's like following this format of, oh, we gonna have, well, ex- with the exception of like the slam and blah, everybody's like, oh, we gonna have a live band, and we gonna do poetry, and it's gonna be jazzy, it's gonna be Love Jones, right? Everybody's trying to do that, but it's like, bef- like back in two. 2000 and ooh, around 2008 or so or 2009 a lot of things happened for me a lot around 2009 2008 um back when we started um like there was n- none of that stuff was happening and people were hungry for it they were like when y'all gonna bring back free verse when y'all gonna bring it back mm-hmm. um and so when we started we started at this black owned wine bar um called i believe it's called wine styles it was off of hebner road and uh, we started with about 80 80 or 90 people wow. like it, it we we were max we were max capacity um we were almost to the point turning people away in that venue then we moved to this other wine winery for one month then they they were talking about uh we have a fear of h1n1 what they really meant was we don't want all these black people up in here um i was like so you think we're gonna bring an h1n1 and, and kill you that's what you think is gonna happen so we left there with the middle finger in the air um we went over <laughs> to what was called the blue bubble ballroom off of broadway and then after the blue bubble we were there for a few months then we moved to the continental and we've stayed at the continental for like at least seven eight years if wow. not longer i remember when i first got into poetry i was trying to find some spots because the first place i ever went to was barrio barista mm-hmm. nice it's when i first read i was about 20 years old so it was April 2015. It was crazy. I had this one cousin who I really keep in touch with, and I had put something on Facebook mm-hmm. at the time, and I was like, "Hey, I want to start doing poetry." Because I started writing poetry because there was this one girl that I dated, mm-hmm. and we had hung out after we broke up, and we had coffee, and she loved coffee, and I did it, and mm-hmm. I had coffee that night, 
and I was like wired. Woo. I was wired the whole night. So <laughs> frat boy, woo. <laughs> yeah. So everything that I wrote, all my material was basically about my childhood, and I don't know. It was just weird. it was a weird sequence of events, and I had like four poems that I wrote. I want to read these, and my I went to Barrio to just observe, and there was like maybe six people there. Mm-hmm. So the the host Victoria was like, love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Shout out to you, Victoria. I love you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's like. So you're going to read? And I'm like, uh, sure. So I read, and they had like four rounds because there was no people there. And mm-hmm. since then, body was grown, but it was it was a crazy experience just, just reading for the first time. And then I remember I had the meetup at, at the time, and I saw mm-hmm. a second verse on there. And then I in the description, it said, hey, there, you know, we max out every time. And you know, I was like, hey, is this an open mic? And I don't know. It might have been you. I don't know. Or it might have been somebody else that responded. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta make it to this place. Because I lived in the area at the time. I lived in the Northeast area, so oh, it wasn't that far of a okay. drive. Um, but how was it as a poet who's an OG poet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're old vocab. No, <laughs> no but even, I am. I am. But no, I, I'll take that. How, how has it been to see the the scene grow? Um, It, it is gratifying, uh, and I feel bad because i cannot attend open mics as much as i really want to because of my stupid work schedule but uh when i go i'm i a lot of times i'm refreshed uh by what i see and then there's people i'm listening to them i'm like yeah i've been in the scene too long because i'm not appreciating this the way i need to be appreciating it Mm. (laughs) but i i feel like the people that i usually have a prediction about what i could what i see in them they usually end up growing to what i see them achieving and i try to be helpful in that if i can and if not then i'm just there to like applaud for them and and um but I, i i really I like to see people stay in the scene. Of course you want to see that. People stay in the scene. I don't like to see people just come for a little bit with if they come in with this mentality like I'm going to show you who I am. Like when they get on stage like that I'm like, "Oh god, here we go for some mediocre poetry." <laughs> <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. It's like these people get up there and they think that their work is so deep and that nobody's about to understand the bombs. They about to drop that knowledge, son. <laughs> I'm about to put you up on game cuz you definitely don't know. <laughs> and then some of the people who are humble and quiet are the dopest people in the room. Yeah. And they don't talk about it. They just get up there and they do it and and ariana's like that like that's what i really loved about her like i went to this women of color um meeting group and the lady gave us specific instructions on how to introduce ourselves she was like say your name and two things that you did on this little art thing or this little paper and she was like um my name's ariana i'm from the west side and i'm tired <laughs> That's oh all she said. God. But this is a woman who Should've is been my nationally known on the microphone, yeah, and is award-winning poet that is known all over the nation. And she, that was her stuff. West Side tired. <laughs> man, shout out her, man. I bet yeah. she was amazing. She is amazing. I hope y'all watch her videos. I'm. If y'all need to know, come see me. Come see she me. Said, come see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I remember I had saw you read. Well, I've seen you read everywhere, obviously, but um, the two that stood out were it was at one place by Market Square. I believe it was for Mother's Day two years ago. I don't know if you remember that. It was like you, Rocky had read. Um, the twins had read. The Quatas had read. Um, the Tijerina twins. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. They they had read, and that, that was it was it was just amazing to see all these incredible 
women and young women just just read their work. Um, but the one poem that I love that you do is where you're washing the spoons. Oh, yeah. The true story. Um, do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's a poem that to this day my mom, to this day, my, my mother does not know that poem exists. And it was so funny. She was about to click on footage from me at Barrio Barista doing the poem. She's like, she's like, you look like you're preaching in this one. I was like, no, mom, don't click on that one. Click on this one. <laughs> like she doesn't know because the poem is in part about her yeah. and her tumultuous relationship with her now deceased ex-husband. Um, but it's basically my, my stepfather, right? Yeah, my stepfather had a crack addiction um pretty much his whole life and it kind of ruled and dictated his life and it made our lives a living hell and it was the poem was about um trying to find redemption and forgiveness and just to shed the trauma and through this ritual of washing spoons and it's like the spoons represent the 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 sins the the issues the, all the crap that was happening in our home and I'm trying to like wash them and I can't seem to get these stains out of my life of off these spoons it's literal and figurative and and the metaphor and um, that it's a true story and I really feel like when you can take painful things and put them in context of something very practical and everyday then it makes people it hits people like because everybody for the most part washes dishes but you're taking something this trauma and you're putting it in in the setting um and it's kind of like a little mini monologue as much as it is a poem so um yeah um was it difficult to read that poem initially in public um when I started reading the poem no but when I had to slam the poem that's when I had the emotional because there's always like not everybody does this but I through this experience I learned to put the wall down because when I get on stage there was always a wall up um and a guard in my emotions and then I had to slam that poem one year and basically if you ever get on a slam team you're going to have an emotional breakdown if you don't have an emotional breakdown when you're slamming when you're learning to be on a slam team you're not doing it right Mm -hmm. um because you have to connect to the emotion in the words that you write and if you're not writing something that makes you feel vulnerable to the point of tears or emotional distress then you aren't writing your truths to me I'm not saying you need to get up there and write trauma all the time but at some point, you've got to share your testimony of what you've been through. And so basically, that poem is one of my testimonies, and I had to slam it. And I remember the first time I cried on po- on stage reading that poem, I looked at this girl in the eyes and something, and looking at her, it, it just triggered my heart to break thinking about what I've been through. And I could barely get through the poem that day. And since then, now I know how to truly connect to my emotions when I'm on stage. And I don't always write from a place of pain. I write a lot of celebratory things and artistic expressive things but that particular piece is just one of those wow i remember you had brought this one poet i don't remember her name i i I just remember seeing her read and i believe you were there i saw her read back when blah was doing it off of brook hollow she was a young woman i think her mother had cancer she was from like i think believe she was from colleen do you know who i'm talking about I want to say... I think you're the poet who brought her on, and she was a feature that evening. Hmm. But I remember seeing her read, and she was talking about her mother, who had cancer. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I don't know what she said. She said something along the lines of her mother was like um, stars in the darkness or something like that. And, you know, like when she dealt with cancer, she you know she shined in it or something along those lines. But I remember seeing her read, and I was like, holy... Oh, sh- 
I don't know her name. It's okay. Well, we'll talk about it afterwards. If you're talking about Amina, that's who I was actually sending a Marco Polo to when y'all were setting up the sound equipment. So that would be fitting if it was her because then I can reconnect the two of you. Um, But she is from Colleen. She lives here. She's an art teacher, and we actually teach workshops together, and we're working on a proposal to get to do more military bases uh worldwide together that's like the next thing that i want to do um besides release this project is get into traveling teaching workshops more and and featuring outside of san antonio more because i used to always run this i used to run these streets y'all i was (laughs) out here in the nation doing shows but now i'm like san antonio only (laughs) so you talk about how you're from San Antonio before yeah. we started recording. Uh, what mm-hmm. part of San Antonio did you grow up on? So I was born at Wolford Hall Medical Center. And uh, up until the second grade, I lived on, in like, by Brooks Air Force Base area, right? Okay. And then I moved to Corpus Christi for a year. And then when I moved back to San Antonio for the third grade, um, I lived in EISD, so Northeast Independent School District, if you don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> and I went to Madison High School. Oh, okay. And now I live off of Days of Alla. So nice. Yeah. Um, you want my address? No play. <laughs> we need your social, your favorite color, right. the last novella. My you favorite saw. color is tan, and I love poopies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, you love working with the youth. Yeah. Um, you worked in a juvenile detention center. Is that correct? I do. Right around the corner from here. I, I uh, worked there. Been there almost seventeen years. So, what's that experience been like? boring um, <laughs> boring. <laughs> they're like what <laughs> no I work the night shift so at overnight uh, it's mostly quiet the kids are not in what we call program hours mm-hmm. meaning they're asleep or they're supposed to be so uh, the most riots we have riots when I say riots I don't mean like physical riots I mean like ruckus and chaos is sometimes we cut, we get kids to come in and they're super high on and we don't know what they may be high on and we're yeah. trying to determine that and so they may come in and um there's there's little things we have to go through with that but i mean going well that's pretty serious uh working there um it's like you realize that you're in the middle of like trauma central like every almost every day several times a day people are coming into that building that have endured a lot of trauma and they may be in the middle of crisis mode obviously because they've been arrested and so it's like anything can or may happen with that and it's just trying to like for me because of where I work my number one priority is to be alert paying attention and to remain calm that is a serious dream <laughs> to remain <laughs> calm under every circumstance. Like just be calm, be conscious, be there and be ready to respond because I have to announce everything and be the eyes and ears of the facility because I don't work in the back. Everybody thinks I must work in the back of kids. I don't work in the back with the kids. I work in the front end and like basically people have to get through me to get to the kids. So that's my job. I work in the control room. Have you ever at any point um, in your tenure there had to deal with kids? I mean, I talk to them a little bit, but that's not my job. My job is to to deal with everybody else. Um, but I go in the back and I've taught workshops, and that's when I've dealt with the kids. Uh, Gemini Inc. has sent me into the back, or I go because now my job knows that I'm a singer and a poet and a rapper. They actually have me go in the back sometimes and do performances during the like special ceremonies that they may have. So I have encountered the kids. I do talk to the kids, but mostly um, I'm, that's not my 
that's not what I do with Eric Juvenile. Hehe. <laughs> I remember I saw an interview you did. Uh, I don't know when it was, but I was, I was when I was doing some research, <laughs> some gotcha. last minute research. You talked about how you put on these hats mm-hmm. when it when it calls for that time, and you um, talked about activism being one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you decide to venture activism, or what did you feel like you had to venture that route? Uh, it may, I mean, it came to me in some ways. I just kick it with those types of people, yeah. like grassroots activist type folk. Um, one of my friends that I don't get to talk to enough, but every once in a while we get into these long conversations is my friend Joaquin Muerte. Mm-hmm. Um, Joaquin is amazing. I used to be in a group with him called Semilla, and that's around the time, I think around 2007 and 2000, yeah, going in 2008 is when I started getting involved with the activist community here in San Antonio. Um, right after that time, Rosa Clemente ran for office um, on Green Party bill or ticket, whatever. And when she came to San Antonio, I opened up for her. And I remember that opening a lot of doors. The 19th annual Women's Day March, I was the MC for the Women's Day March. And so my my roots in um, activism and those types of protesting and all that stuff stemmed from that time. I worked with Southwest Workers Union and, and did, yeah, did some workshops there. And I've done stuff with Martina Street Women's Center, uh, Haven for Hope. I've done some stuff with them as well. And it's just like, you know, sometimes because I write those types of lyrics. I used to have be in a group called um, Blend Phonetics. And the other member of the rap group, he's undocumented. Um, and we wrote bilingual hip hop together. Oh, nice. And we wrote about those songs. We have a whole album together called Transitions. And we put that on 2014. So, I mean, like, I've just always kind of cared about issues. And I'm going to put them, put it in my lyrics. I'm going to, not as much as my poems, but more so my lyrics. Oh, man. Um, what kind of issues are you passionate about at the moment? Um, Locally, well, since you're, right now you're in San Antonio mode. Um... San Antonio, the idea of us being a sanctuary city, the idea of being a refuge, the idea of our border policies. Um, a few months ago, I, I I'm still have an ongoing partnership with the Universalist Church here, and we do workshops, myself and Amina Deshay, the young lady I think you're talking about. Uh, we do workshops with them. Uh, we did one where we did letter writing for some people that are asylum seekers inside of the Universalist Church in Austin, Texas. And uh, we raised some money for them and some some goods. We sent letters, goods, and money up there. Um, and I've done some stuff since then. And I'm going to partner with some more people to do some more workshops. So that's like an ongoing thing, the idea of, you know, people need refuge, the people trying to get work visas and stay here or whatever and live as United States citizens. That I care about that. Wow. Um, you have a big platform. I mean, you're well known as a poet. You're well known as a as an artist. Um, how you. important do you think it is to to use that to help a lot of these people who, you know, who may be uh, a lot of these. What's that term I'm looking for, Albert? I always ask Albert. Albert's my. Um, a lot of these impoverished communities. A lot of these communities that are um, just being targeted. Disrespectful. I know this train. <laughs> 
The train should have passed by when I was struggling to muster up some words. <laughs> as soon as you finish, it's like beep beep. Um, they're they're like roasting me. <laughs> well, I think that it is my responsibility as an artist. I don't understand how people want to say they want to be an artist and they don't at all decide to take a platform and stand and use their their voice to speak to something you need to speak to something um even if you're in the midst of glamorizing or glorifying things that may not be uh of substance to other people at some point take the take that liberty to do like you know a lot of people they try to discount cardi b but she speaks out about a lot of stuff and i'm like kudos to cardi for like she she tackles issues and so as much as people trash kim kardashian and i you know when it came to it like she went to bat for some people that were in prison that needed to get out of prison and she mm-hmm. went straight to the president was like yo pimp juice uh get these folks out of prison can we can we get them a stay or whatever so i feel like you know at some point you got to use your voice for something um, because this world is bigger than us. It will always has been and it always will be. And there are people hurting all around us. And part of the reason why I do the art that I do is one for remembrance and celebration of my friend, Krisha, who passed away when I was 13. And just I'm like, your your death will not be in vain. Not, you know, it doesn't matter who doesn't remember. I'm going to always remember. Um, and she's part of the, my motivation for what I do. Um, and just young people like her voice was taken at the age of 13 she was raped and murdered um and so i care about reaching out to communities of young people who to try to get them out of going down a path of whatever that may lead to their destruction and i also care about people who have survived and getting from a place of just survival to overcoming because there's a difference between surviving and overcoming um and healing and taking back your power that was stripped away from you from whoever may have victimized you or preyed upon you that's how you you win and so i care about that stuff as well you know it's super important you got to do it wow that's incredible how difficult is it to to craft music it's one thing to it's it's a different level of difficulty to to write poetry how difficult is it to write an actual song in a whole project oh man um I care about what people think around me because ultimately I don't just do my music for myself. I do my music for people to listen to it, right? So when when I get a beat, sometimes when I get a beat, something will come to me immediately and I'll start coming up with concepts, ideas in my head. But sometimes I have to sit with the beat for a little bit and I'll show it to a friend and I'm like, hey, what does this beat make you think of? Because the music kind of has, it tells a story in and of itself. And you can hear certain beats and be like, oh, man, this is like a storytelling beat or this beat like you need to flex and just be rapping about your skills or talking about what you do. And this one, this sounds romantic or sexy, you know, whatever you hear when you hear a beat, like whatever it's the emotions it's drawing out of you. So I try to think about that. And then I think about a concept for a song. And sometimes lyrics come immediately. Sometimes I got to sit with a beat for a while because sometimes I get like something and it intimidates me. And I'm like, oh, I know I love this, but I can't say that I actually have wrapped my mind around how to how to tackle it and so I don't I don't stress myself about it but there is a little bit of anxiety and a rush you know yeah who, who, who are your inspirations as far as artists go Ooh. okay so singing wise I want to say I love Tweet I love Lauren Hill I love Erica Badu I love Ooh. Jill Scott Ooh. um lately her is super dope Oh yes. Yeah, the internet. Love the internet. Um 
Daniel Caesar as much as even though I love Daniel Caesar, I've kind of, I don't listen to him as much as I was, but I really admire him as an artist. Um, some other great s- people who get mood really well. Michelle and Deggie Ocello is like, she understands vibe like super hard. Yeah. And she gives it to you. Sade, to go back into my, my, my childhood, I love me some Sade. Um, these are people who they make you feel the music. Like, yes, their lyrics are even dope. Yeah. But just their voice has this texture and quality that you yearn here. Um, a new chick that's out recently, I think her name is Nicole Buss. That girl, her voice has so much I need a rasp. And man, when she sings, you like, girl. I'm going to show you a song as soon as we finish. You're going to be like, that shit. That right there. Um... Let's see. Um, as far as hip hop is concerned, I love Talib Kweli. Oh, I love him. He yeah. has a fantastic pod. His podcast is great. His first guest was Bun B. Whoa. Yeah, he set the bar for it, and his, even his guests after that were, are really great. Um, yeah, he's he's doing a great job of transitioning to the media. That's dope. Um, a new artist that I really love a lot is Mumu Fresh, and if I could be any, if I could. The way she conceptualized stuff, because she's a singer, rapper, poet. And so when I look at people like Mumu Fresh, who's now coming on the scene and, and, and also tanking the bangas, like these artists are breaking down the door for people who are spoken word artists as well as hip hop and singers. And their voices are immaculate. And they're, the way they structure out a song, they take you on a journey. And you got to like, we put a lot of trust in the hands of the artists we listen to because when they, when the song comes on, we don't know what's about to happen, but we just listen. We give these people our attention and our time. And that's something you can't give back. You can't get it back. Once you give it to something, you're like, I'm committed to listening to this song. Unless I'm like, this is trash. I'm cutting it off. <laughs> but most of the people that we love, we're just going to cut on their song and just let go wherever they go. And so those are people that I trust to take me on a song journey to somewhere great. Wow. It has... Becoming an actual artist yourself give you a greater appreciation of the art? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Or is that something that was always there? Well, since I started at a young age, because, I mean, I've been doing... Like, when I started, I grew up in a black church. And I always end up saying this in my, <laughs> in my interviews. Like, <laughs> uh, in the black church, you got to be ready. Like, there's, there's this idea of what the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves you operate in it. Like, so if the Lord is releasing this to happen, then we got to go with it. And I was in choir. I was on the usher. I was in the step team. I was on the drama team. Every auxiliary of the church I got involved in because I was always there because um, that's just how I grew up. Like, you had the church. So I was like, I'll just join everything and be ready to on program to move and do and get up. And so I learned at a young age. I trained myself at a young age to be fluent in, in the arts and movement and stuff. So... It's always been there, yeah. I need to link you up with this one church that I wrote a story on two years ago. It's called, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's called West End Church. It's off for Poplar and Sasamora. Oh, dope. Oh. Uh, when I wrote the story, they had hit their 100th birthday. Oh, great. And it's an all-black congregation on the west side. The congregants, the majority of them are are really old. The, the pastor's young. He's about 50. His mother's late 70s I thought she was in her 50s she she has a wonderful soul uh, it's Pastor Denny and I, I spent a couple of weeks with them and I ended up writing a story on their congregation and it was really amazing like you see black churches and 
in media and stuff and just experiencing it I was like holy shit this is like you're not supposed to say that <laughs> I didn't I didn't say that in the church I probably did in my head Man. I probably did say that. Um, <laughs> it is. My, it is holy. <laughs> it is. It was, it's holy. <laughs> it, it was amazing. It was amazing. The the women were like super. Because I went back after I wrote the story. I went back a couple weeks later, and they they welcomed me. And when I went on their 100th birthday, they had all this food out. Oh yeah, potato oh. salad and chicken and green beans and rolls and tea. Lots of tea. (laughs) Can I take a plate to go? (laughs) And cakes, homemade cakes. Ooh, them homemade church cakes. Ain't y'all. Listen, if you don't go to a black church for nothing else, try to stay for after Sunday service when they had them homemade pound cakes. My God. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so delicious. I was like, I need to come back to this church every week. And eat cake. (laughs) Yes, and eat cake. But it's it's crazy. I'm glad you had mentioned like your favorite artist because mm-hmm. I remember was it two years ago? I was at Malaluna and I had interviewed Xavier Omar. Oh, I love him. I went. To, mm, okay, keep talking. No, and you and you were the first person to comment on my photo with him, and it was crazy because he was um, he had just went through all these interviews, these super long interviews with these people who don't know how to interview, and they're just mm-hmm. talking and talking. I was like, man, poor guy. I was like, I just need to ask him three simple questions for my story. Which I did. Uh, I, I put him. Uh, I talked to his manager or whoever the guy was at the time. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I told him I was like, "Hey, I just need to interview him for seven minutes tops." And I remember he's like, "Hey, Xavier, you know this guy wants to interview you real quick." So I did, and right when I was about to interview him, Khalid had texted him. He's like, "Hey, I'm here. Let's link up." And I was like, "Dang! Like one of the biggest artists in the world right now, and he wants to link up with him and." Here I am <laughs> trying to interview him, but he was super nice and he's like, mm-hmm. I was it's like, hey, I'll, stomping grounds, I yeah, guess. yeah. And I told him I was like, hey, we can walk and talk that way. We're you know killing two birds with one stone. So I asked him my questions and he stops and he's like, and I was like, all right, thanks, man. He's like, that's it. I was like, yeah. He's like, that's all I needed. He's like, are you sure? It's like, well, if you have a couple more minutes, he's like, yeah, man. I thought it was gonna be like one of those long interviews. I'm like, no, bro. Like, so we just started talking about the local music scene in San Antonio and stuff. Kept in touch. He had his um, his homecoming because mm-hmm. he went on tour with Nail, mm. so they went all over. Incredible. Nail was incredible. Oh yes. So he came back. He had a homecoming um, show at the Paper Tiger. So I interviewed him there again. Um, so it was me, him, his fiance, who's now his wife. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but he told me he's moving back to San Antonio soon, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I need to link y'all up together because... Oh, I would pass will, out. He will love you. I know he will love you. i yeah. pass all the way out. <laughs> I didn't talk about Eric Roberson. I didn't talk about him. I talked about basically Masego, like um, Ari Lennox. These are people I, I listen oh, to all Ari of these Lennox. humans and they all have tiny desk concerts now. So if you don't subscribe, if you're out there and you haven't subscribed to NPR's tiny desk concerts, just subscribe and just every time a, a tiny desk, con- if you want to know who's on the pulse of the music scene and the world who's emerging artists it's you know they catch people on their way up um and that's what i really love about npr um how they do that and i i watch tiny desk concerts if i don't even watch them if i listen to them every single night at work they tiny desk concerts have literally saved my life (laughs) yeah division all of these people i listen to all of them alternative r&b is my is my ish you know i always ask people this and asked albert um 
I like to ask people this who are into music. Mm-hmm. What was the first album you ever bought? I could not tell you because my father was a DJ, so I grew up in a house full of music. Um, I oh. remember an album that I love. I'm going to go gospel for this one. I would say, um, ooh, Kirk Franklin and, ooh, what are their names? Oh, shoot. They had that song Stomp. Now I got to look it up because it's not coming to my brain. Somebody's probably going to listen to this and be yelling, Vocab, how could you not know <laughs> who this is? Uh, I remember the first uh, first iPod I ever got. My cousin put all this this Christian music on there. Mm-hmm. And that Kirk Franklin had Lecrae. This was back in 07. So as soon as Lecrae was just blowing up mm-hmm. and all these artists, I was like, man, I mess with Kirk Franklin heavy. Yeah. Well, it's, I still can't find it. Why is this not? Why is this happening to me? And I know, and I grew up on this because when I was growing up, it was like, I remember the movie Sister Act Two. That movie was like life changing for me. Shout um, out Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg, Lauren Hill, um, Tanya Blunt. Like that movie was everything to choir kids. And if you grew up in a in a black church, like that movie at that time was everything in the nineties. So yeah. Oh, that's dope. So yeah, this is, and I still have not found the the group in this album that I freaking love. So, yeah, life right now, life. Right uh, now. no worries. We gave you trouble earlier. Yeah, earlier our we were having trouble with the mics. We've never had trouble with the mics before. God's can, property. God's property. I didn't even have to find it. I remembered. It took me a minute. God's, God's property. property. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that album, but I man, gonna be like, oh, who wants to be a millionaire? You call it Lifeline, <laughs> right? Right. I was about to about to look it up, but it came back. But no, like, in the, like when I was little, my sister and I, that was our thing. Like right down, like three blocks or so from our church was this radio. I mean, a record store. I don't remember. It wasn't Sam Goody, but it was like one of those Sam Goody music store type places. And I remember we would we would like put our money together and we would go buy cassette singles. Like every time we could get money, we would just go. It was like on Saturdays we got tacos and a clearly Canadian or a can of soda and then the rest of our money we would put together to buy cassette singles. <laughs> That's the best where like you would either, you know, a sibling or a cousin or like with your friends where you, everyone just like puts all their money together and you just go out and like we, we just buy stuff collectively. Right. And then you just got to share it. <laughs> yeah. But if you live in the same house, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, how difficult is it to write a book everyone that i've Hard. met who's written a book has hated the process of writing it and like their favorite part is when it's done it's hard uh really really hard right now my book which feels weird is in the hands of editors so i want to give a shout out to dominique edmonds uh and also to joe reyes boitel because they are in the process of editing my poems. What I realized over the years, how this project kind of came to was I realized um, I have a collection of poems that I set aside for something else for another type of book. But then I was like, I got a lot of poems about music just that I've written just about jazz alone. I have a lot of poems. But then I was like, I just write poems about musicians and music and stuff. And so I just was like, okay, reach back into your National Poetry Month poems, pull those out, go through, run a search engine in in your email, because I email everything to myself, Mm -hmm. and pull all those together. And then I came up with almost 40 poems or maybe even more than that. But this is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to do, because I was like, man, I'll be writing. I'll be writing. 
fucking writing. Don't beat yourself up about not writing. You do write. So the hard part is editing and formatting them. Like pulling out the poem, writing the poems is not hard. It's when you like say, I'm going to put structure to this flesh. Yeah. And so it's like going back and putting bones in after the fact. It's hard. Oh, man. But you need friends to help you. And you have to understand English, the rules of English. There are rules that you learned in middle and high school. Oh, <laughs> the English language is so awful. It's freaking hard. <laughs> Punctuation and grammar is freaking hard, y'all. Especially if you believe that as African Americans and people of color, this is not our first language. They call it English, but that's not our first language. We speak a whole... Black people worldwide... Or at least for the U.S., we we have a whole language of shit. It's part of my French that we say. Ha-ha. No, you can curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I didn't. But uh, anyway, Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Uh, it's just like we have we have a language that we speak, and English is not. It's it's an offshoot of English, but it is not an English as as Caucasians know it. Yeah. It is not. They call it ebonics, but that's not what we want to call that. So, you know, whatever. Um. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so is there anything else that you are you plan on working on, or is it you're just focused on oh, no, fleshing I'm, this out real quick, and then you'll focus on other things after it comes out November 8th? I got simultaneous projects going on. Uh, my band is going to be releasing our album. I'm in a band called The Foreign Arm. We're releasing our album in November as well. Wow. Um, Amina Deshay, the young lady that I've mentioned a few times, we are working on an album together, but that will be later next year. I work with a flamenco artist named Tamara Adira, and she has Arte y Pasión. I work with them. And uh, in Southwest School of the Arts, early next year, I'm doing a, a piece with this lady named Amber uh, Ortega. And I also also am doing the Bad Mama Jamma remix at the Carver next year. So I got, this is, yeah. Through March of next year, I got fully loaded. <laughs> wow. She, man, if you ever heard of vocab, y'all, y'all need to quit sleeping because she's out here doing the damn thing. She's been doing it for a minute already. Oh, man. That's, that's so But you awesome. can do it, too, so I can take a nap. <laughs> Come do it with me. <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep, man. I'm tired. <laughs> just, just like naming all the stuff that I got to do. I'm like, I'm tired. And then I'm teaching on top of that and working a full-time job. But we're getting it done. We're getting it done. And But the, the art is here for us. San Antonio is wide open. That's what I understand. Like, people don't understand. Like, there are so many opportunities for artists in this city and you just got to get out there and then pray on it. It will come to you. Mm. Can you add on to that, Albert, as an artist yourself? Um, you're right. It's just that, you know, you got to put in the, you got to be able to sacrifice. Yeah. You know, I, I think I mentioned this when I was talking to you about, you know, these three things. It's uh, being determined, having that longevity, and being willing to sacrifice. And what I tell other people that come ask for advice about, you know, how to pursue that goal or that dream, that passion, is if you're not willing to sacrifice, then just go find something else. Because, right. uh, you know, if you're not willing to, 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 you know, sleep, to lose sleep or, you know, to have so many things on your plate where mm-hmm. you're kind of like stressed out. Like, I think that's a part of, you know, chasing that, that passion, chasing that dream. So, like, you know... You're right. There's so many opportunities for artists here in San Antonio. We're living in a, in a great area for like the price range is, isn't ridiculous like some other areas. And um, it gives us the opportunity to 
to you know do our our work full time to work part time and you know spend you know those devoted hours to what you love and All right San Antonio is the place to do it and for me I have a full time job but I have a lot of hours saved so like I have over I have over like 240 vacation hours that I haven't even touched yet and I'm just using my other times but um because I've been in my job like 17 years but yeah like working a full-time job and being a I consider myself pretty much like a part-time to full-time artist depending on when you catch me but I take off from my regular job just so I can do art work so it's like I'll go teach for a week and I take off from a regular job so I can do that. So it's you there is sacrifice, like you said, and being consistent. Like every time I get on stage, I don't care if there's 20 people or 200 people in the audience. I'm going to give you me and you got to be consistent. Don't be like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm feeling it. Then don't get up there. If you ain't feeling it and you can't bring yourself to get up there and go for it, don't just don't say nothing. Just sit down until you feel like giving it because your art deserves your best. There was no point in writing it or painting it or dancing it or whatever you do if you're not going to give it your all in that moment. Because people need your all. They deserve your all. And some people feel like their their presence is a privilege to these people. And when people say that about me, I'm like, don't say that because we're all human beings. We've all gone through something. It's a privilege for me to be able to have people give me their attention. And it is also a blessing to be in the presence of someone who wants to share their experience. It's a reciprocal thing we give to each other. Man, if I was in Volcast's position, I'd be... I don't know if I'd be that humble. <laughs> no, thank you, but the life humbles us. Nah, like, I, like when you, I am pretty humble. <laughs> you are a really, really great guy. You have, you have a poise to you, but you're very grounded. You're very chill, and you can tell that you ain't really feeling yourself on all these levels. And people like that, I don't want to be around them. Like yeah. I might enjoy them when they're on stage, but I don't want to approach them to get their autograph or even talk to them yeah. if they're like that. I'm just like, okay, you were cute up there, now I'm leaving. I don't want to be in the show. I feel weird when people compliment me. I just feel weird. I'm just so used to me doing my thing and no one really noticing and not really mm-hmm. caring to care. That's so redundant, but I don't care. No, I don't <laughs> mean. I said care for a third time again, but mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. But I've always been that kind. Of, like if if it were like in high school, played basketball, I ran track, and I don't remember anybody like from family or friends going to to a game or going out of their way for me, or if I'm at a journalism competition. Yeah. So I never really did it for recognition. I just did it because I loved it, especially journalism. Um, I remember everybody started. Um, fucking with me when I started um, doing covering Spurs games with Spectrum News. That's when everybody was like, "Oh man, this guy's doing his thing now." I'm like, "Bro, like, I've been doing it, but it's like, um, it was crazy when I was doing that." And I told Albert this on his podcast, Thrill Art Podcast, Spotify and Apple Music. Um, nice. I was talking about how I started a blog simultaneously when I was covering the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And in this blog, I started to write about stories on the West Side. Mm-hmm. And those stories meant a lot more than interviewing Pop or standing next to Kawhi or LeBron, at, you know, before the game or after a game. Um, it, it meant a lot more. And one of my mentors from the Express News, his name's Vincent Davis, one of the best writers they have. Um, he's been my mentor since 2017. He's this 63-year-old, 64-year-old bald black dude who was in the military for 20 years retired became a writer at 40 oh dope that's that's he's my homie man like he's 
he's always been there for me. He's always had a recommendation letter ready for me. He got my foot in the door at the Express News. And um, I remember when I was writing those blogs, he had told me, he said, um, he had shared one of my stories. I didn't even know he read my stories like that. Like he saw, I posted a link. He shared it on his own page. And he said, you found your voice, young man. Continue that stride. And that meant the world to me. I was like, holy shit. Like, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making it. This, this guy sees that I found my voice. Finally, it took, at that time, I think I was about 20, 20 years old. So it took me five years, six years to find that voice. And when I found it, I realized that was my voice also for poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people, whenever I read, they're like, hey, read, you know, I like your, your work that you, you know, your, your West Side poems. So I guess I'm known as the West Side poet now, but um, I mean, that's, that's where I'm from. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's funny, like the identity people, because I don't think about it. Like, I didn't think about it till like, a, like a few years ago, like when we started getting ready for the tricentennial, mm-hmm. the idea of you're writing to your identity, you're writing about your site, your, your surroundings and that stuff. I was like, well, I'm just talking, you know, yeah. but that's important. People want specifically that they want to hear you talk about where you're from, who you are, your culture, your expression. Your, and I'm like, okay, there are people who go get a whole education based on that. And I'm like, I, right, whatever, I'm just talking. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel too. I'm, I'm just talking. Um, how do you feel about your, your identity as a as an artist? Oh, um, uh, people put a lot more stock in it than I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, uh, what do you identify as? Okay, stand on a platform. Make that your platform. And I'm like... Yeah, do you I feel like that's putting skin. yourself in a box in a way? Um, or no? Not necessarily because I don't do it in a cliche way. Like, mm-hmm. I don't write about what people expect me to write about. They think I'm going to get up yeah. here and write about... I feel sometimes pressure to do it. And I'm like... No, it doesn't I'm just feel right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm a woman, so automatically anything I write is about black womanhood. <laughs> I can't change that about my identity. Like I was born that, like it was determined mm-hmm. at, at you know when the whole chromosome double helix thing came together. <laughs> so I I just I just write, and if someone sees something in it, uh, they may ask me specifically for certain types of pieces when they hire me to go perform at certain events. But if I have it in my repertoire, I'll do it. If I don't, I will recommend them to somebody who I think does. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to push myself to, if if I can if I can write it, if I feel it, I will write it. But if I can't, so this opportunity belongs to someone else then. Mm. And I have no I, problem with passing the buck, so to speak, because... Um, it sucks the people who don't come back and say thank you because there's people in the city I've gotten them gigs that paid them hundreds of dollars and they don't even come back and be like, yo, vocab, I appreciate you doing that for me. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> See if I help you again. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, I'm not going to be that way. But I mean, if I know they're the right person for the job, then I'm going to give them the job. Or float it to them. Do you think more artists should be like that? Do you feel like um, at, at, at some capacity there, there's a lot of like greed just as far as artists go? Not, I don't think it's as bad as it, it used to be. Mm-hmm. To me, I feel like people are very loving and open and in this city. I can't speak for other cities and other places, mm-hmm. but I feel like in this city, people do, quote unquote, share their wealth because normally people are looking for more than one person. Uh, they may put their friends on. 
which is fine. You know, you, you whoever you are in a circle with, you can vouch for them. Um, when I recommend people, I realize I'm putting my name on the line by recommending another person. So I try to recommend people who I know are going to show up and get the job done. Um, and sometimes I might even call them and be like, look, I'm sending this person to you uh, for this thing. If I don't know the people, I also feel, but the other way also, like whoever, I try to be able to vet whoever I'm sending. Like I'm not going to send somebody to someone and I feel like they're going to take advantage of that artist or, or they're not going to offer them something that's reasonable or yeah. for them. You know, I don't want people, either way, I don't want people to get taken advantage of on the artist's end or the curator's end. Um, but uh like you reap what you sow, y'all. And I talk about this all the time when I, whenever I'm given a platform. You need to sow seeds. Helping other people is sowing a seed. Um, speaking life, working with nonprofits, any of this work, whether you're volunteering or getting paid, you're still sowing seeds in other people. Mm. Helping, opening a door, leaving the door open, calling people, sharing other people's posts, promoting other artists. You are sowing seeds, and the universe is going to bring it back to you. God's going to give it back to you. So do it. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. I so, like your Coach Popovich stickers. Oh, yeah, I know. We we have some interesting stickers. Yeah, I do. I've been looking at Jabroni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got that from Bad Pins. Shout out Bad Pins. They have some cool stickers. And for real, I forgot where I got this sticker from. This is one cat. He started creating stickers, and now he's doing his thing. Good for him. Um, is there anything else you want to say? You want to talk your shit? Uh, I feel like I've been doing that quite a bit, but I have a website now, uh, AndreaVocabSanderson.com. Uh, it'd be nice if y'all uh, could go visit that. If you, and then there's my social media. Anything, you just like Andrea Vocab Sanderson, and my IG is Vocabulous. Uh, I have second verse once a month, every second Friday. Uh, I do stuff at Carmen's de la Calle once a month. Um, it looks different this month, September, I'm taking it off, but back in October, October, I'll be back at it doing something. We, we formula every month we'd formulate something different. I was doing jazz and poetry there for a minute. Jazz yeah, and poetry you with we did it for about four and a half years and now we're, we're doing different things every month. So it won't just be jazz and poetry. It may be jazz and poetry some months, but there's so many open mics in San Antonio right now. It's just like, we want to try to keep it fresh. So, okay. And Title your book, title your album again. Okay, so the album, She Tastes Like Music. The book, She Lives in Music. They will be available after November 8th. That's the date it drizzles. Let's go. And you're going to be on the UNAM stage mm-hmm. November 9th at for Luminaria. Luminaria. Yeah, and I'll be at Blah the following Monday. Was that the 11th or the 12th? Whatever that day is. Whatever the Monday is. And I'll be there. So y'all at the amp room. At the amp room. Mm-hmm. I'm featuring when I have my product with me. Come Let's see me go. then. So you can physically get it. You can physically get it there. Get it. Anybody could get it. <laughs> That's my gully voice. It's like East Coast <laughs> rapper gully voice. <laughs> Albert, where can they find you at? Artwalk. Uh, yeah, second Saturday, Southtown Art Gallery. Every second Saturday of the month. And you can find me at on Instagram, Trouble Art. Uh, Trouble oh. underscore art or albertgonzalezart.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram because that's where I spend half of my day, unfortunately. Now, I have to promote a lot of things. Yeah, that's what up. you're supposed to do. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SportsGuyJose. And this podcast, obviously, if you're listening to it, you know how to get to this podcast. That wraps it up. Oh, man. Opportunity is knocking at the door. Oh, I love that. 
That wraps it up for episode five. Love you guys. Cinco, baby. Stay brown. <laughs> <laughs>